Alrighty, this morning we begin a study of uh, a new section in our Statement of Faith, <clears throat> which is the study of God. Uh, this is known as theology proper, the study of God himself. And I want to start by just reading the uh, section in our Statement of Faith as it is. It says, we believe in the one true and living God, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of all things. God is eternal, unchanging, and infinite, self-existing from everlasting to everlasting. He is personal, intelligent, holy, good, just, merciful, gracious, loving, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, all-sovereign, and perfect in every way. God has limitless knowledge, knowing all things past, present, and future perfectly. God exists in perfect unity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one Godhead, equal in every divine perfection, without division of nature, essence, or being, yet distinct with personalities and offices. The Lord God is alone worthy to receive all glory, honor, and power from all his creation. So that gives you an idea of the type of subjects we're going to uh, be covering over the next several weeks. Uh, we're not going to go in order through the statement like we did with Scripture. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, uh, but we will be covering everything in there and more. I want to begin this morning with an introduction to this uh, study by reading a text from the prophet Hosea, Hosea 4. Uh, ver starting in verse 1, and just see as you read through this if it sounds like uh, the world we're living in today. Hosea 4 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. So God is upset with Israel, says he has a controversy with them. He's about to judge them because of their, their lack of uh, faithfulness, love and knowledge of God. And this, not, uh, this lack of knowing God leads to what follows in verse 2. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Uh, this is the tragic results of a nation that has lost the knowledge of God. <clears throat> a few verses later, God says uh, in verse 6, "...my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like uh, people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. Uh, doesn't that sound like the direction America is headed today? Uh, they've rejected God, and the knowledge of God is dying out in the land, and the pre predictable result of that is sin and destruction. We've forsaken God, we've turned to sexual perversion, new wine, things that distract us, uh, from take our hearts away from what is most important, which is knowing and understanding God. And if you want to fix our country, it's not going to start by electing the right person into political office. Uh, you'll be very disappointed if you place all of your hope in uh, politicians. The solution to the problems in our country is a revival in knowing and understanding God. Uh, the celebration of immorality, the murder of the unborn, uh, all manner of greed and debauchery that we see is the result of there being no knowledge of God in our land. And if things are going to change, it's going to start here with God's people getting to know God more fully, and then passing down that knowledge of God to our children and those that God gives us influence over. 
A.W. Tozer wrote this in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, said it is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our, our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. Now, the study of theology proper is extremely important. Uh, knowing God and understanding him rightly as scripture portrays him is something that we need to uh, focus on, especially over these next few weeks as we, we study the doctrine of God. I want to uh, read a text from Jeremiah 9. This has really been one I've been uh, coming back to the last several weeks over and over. Jeremiah 9, verse 23, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't let your identity or self-worth be found in your possessions or your intelligence or whatever skills you may have. Find your worth in a relationship with God. What you know about God is the most important factor in your life. There is no more important or foundational aspect to your life than knowing and understanding God. Your view of God is the most determinative aspect of your life. As Hosea said in that text we just read, a lack of knowing God has consequences in the way people live their lives. <clears throat> Sin, bloodshed, immorality, that's the predictable result of forsaking God and the understanding of God diminishing. Not only is a lack of knowledge of God destructive, but uh, perhaps equally destructive is an inadequate or false view of God. Just take, for example, the Reformation in Europe in the 16th century. For hundreds of years, the Catholic Church taught a very false view of God. They were not allowed to have the Bible in their language. The Roman Catholic Church had forbidden that. And so uh, people, the Bible was not translated into the common languages like French, German, English until the Reformation. And so uh, the people had no idea what the Bible actually taught. They were relying on the priests of the Catholic Church uh, to teach them accurately about God. And they, of course, taught them a very false view. They were told that they had to earn salvation by good deeds. They were told they had to pay the Catholic Church money in order to have less years of suffering in purgatory. All of these unbiblical ideas. And that false view of God kept the people in misery and darkness. And then in the 1500s, shortly after the Bible was first printed from a printing press, a monk named Martin Luther began to study the Bible and came to know God as he truly is. He discovered that Jesus had died to pay the debt of our sin. We don't earn salvation by works, but we're granted eternal life by faith. Luther discovered that repentance was needed, not doing penance, as the Latin Bible had mistranslated the term. And this corrected understanding of theology led to the Reformation throughout Europe, which eventually led to these uh, Christians getting on ships and coming over to America. America is the land that the Reformation filled. And this new nation was founded in order that these people could freely worship God apart from this false system in Rome. Our country was founded by people who knew and understood God. I just read the Declaration of Independence or any of our founding documents and you will see the, the founders of America, they believed and trusted in God. And they established this country with the foundational knowledge of God. A, a right understanding of God is the most important aspect 
for any people. Again, I quote Tozer. He says, among the sins to which the human heart is prone, hardly any other is more hateful to God than idolatry. For idolatry is at bottom a libel on his character. The idolatrous heart assumes that God is other than he is, in itself a monstrous sin, and substitutes for the true God one made after its own likeness. It is of utmost importance that we know and understand God correctly, that is, as he has revealed himself on the pages of Scripture. And that's going to be our aim over these next few weeks, uh, that we would get to know God more deeply and accurately as he has revealed himself in the pages of his word. Uh, One final practical note of introduction before we get into this. We cannot rightly worship God unless we have a correct view of him. Uh, One of my goals throughout this study of God is that we would get to know God, uh, the God of the Bible. Uh, One of my goals in that is that our worship of him uh, will rise along with our understanding of him. Uh, Tozer put it this way, Let us know thee as thou art, that we might adore thee as we should. So with that introduction, I want to jump into uh, the first topic we're going to cover today, which is the existence of God. Before we talk about what God is like, we need to first establish that there is a God, that God exists. The Bible assumes the, the existence of God from the very beginning. Okay? The, you open the first page of the Bible, there's no defense there as to <clears throat> how we can know God exists. It just assumes that God exists. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible assumes the existence of God from the very beginning. And as Christians, this is obviously the assumed starting point. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the baseline of the Christian faith is to believe that God exists. Now, uh, if I were to ask you, or if somebody were to ask you, why do you believe God exists? What would be some things you might say? Put you all on the spot here for a minute. Somebody asked you, how do you know that God exists? What would you say to that? Because of the, okay. The design and nature, the teleological argument. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Any other things you'd point to as uh, evidences of God's existence? I think to me, that's the most compelling one. You just look at creation. Um, Right, the Bible. Yes. Now you've got... Uh, a circular argument there, because the reason we believe the Bible is because of God, the reason we believe God is the Bible. But I also believe there is a self-attestation there, that the more you read Scripture, um, the more compelled, at least I am, that God is real. And so I do, I do think there's something to that. You read it and you realize this isn't just a normal made-up book. So I, I do see that. Anything else? Mm-hmm. The human body? Um, and yeah, it's interesting you bring up reproduction. as It's a good example of something that could not have really evolved. Because if it wasn't there with the first one, you wouldn't have had a second one. <laughs> so uh, yes, the, the human body, that goes kind of along with creation. So anyway, those are some, uh, some reasons. We're going to look at some of these. There are some really bad arguments for God's existence. Um, arguments based on your feelings, really. Uh, somebody might say, I know God exists because I talked to him today. Well, Unless he talked back, that's not really uh, very concrete. Um, I remember we used to sing a song around Easter called He Lives. And a part of that song, it says, uh, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's not a very good reason. <laughs> that's very subjective. And, uh, and so we're going to look at 
some of the better reasons for God's existence. I'm going to give you three arguments today for God's existence. These are not based on the Bible. We're going to get to that next week. Uh, today we're going to look at just things that you can see around you. So we're not relying on the Christian worldview uh, today. We're going to look at this more from a secular perspective. How would you answer an atheist or a skeptic that said, how can you even think that God exists? And personally, I find these to be the three best uh, arguments for God's existence. Number one, uh, the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument. If you want an easy way to remember this, uh, phonetically, just think the cosmological, it's the, the, all about the first cause of everything else. Every known thing in the universe has a cause. Therefore, it follows that the universe itself must also have a cause, and that the cause of the universe can only be God. Uh, this is the which came first, the chicken or the egg argument. Because every egg comes from a previously existing chicken, and every chicken comes from a previous egg, and so it goes back and back and back. Well, where, how did the first one come into existence? There had to at least, at some point, be an egg that did not come from a chicken, or a chicken that did not come from an egg. The first one that caused the others that followed. And the same can be said of humans. I came from my parents, who came from their parents, and so on, until you get back to uh, the first two humans. Where do they come from? Now, evolution says they came from apes. Uh, and apes came from cats, and cats came from frogs who came from bananas and whatever else. Uh, and eventually it goes back to a single-celled organism. But aside from the obvious holes in that logic, like why aren't there half-ape, half-humans uh, running around today, that really doesn't even answer the question. All it does is kick the question back a few billion years. Because the question has to be then, where did the single-celled organism come from? And if you believed <clears throat> the Big Bang caused the universe, well, where did the Big Bang come from? Uh, they always say that, that basically the Big Bang was an explosion of dirt and certain gases. Well, where did those come from? All you're doing is pushing the question back. You're not actually answering uh, where was the first cause of the universe. The biblical answer is that God is the first cause of everything in the universe. It was God's hand that knocked down that first domino and started the line of succession. So the first two humans, Adam and Eve, were created by God. The first few chickens that came into existence were created by God. So if you ever ask that question, which came first, the chicken or the egg, the answer is the chicken. Uh, the first plants did not originate from seeds. They originated from God. God is the uncaused cause. He's known in uh, philosophy as the prime mover, who is himself the origin of everything that exists. Uh, that is the cosmological argument. Stephen Charnock wrote this book, uh, The Existence and Attributes of God, really thick old English book that I'm enjoying uh, working through. He said this about the cosmological argument. Uh, the argument is unanswerable, and the wisest atheist, if any atheist can be called wise, cannot unloose the knot. We must come to something that is first in every kind, and this first must have a cause, not of the same kind, but infinite and independent. Otherwise, men run into inconceivable labyrinths and contradictions. Notice Charnock points out that not only must the first of each thing have a cause, but that cause must be infinite and independent. In other words, the first humans could not have been created by themselves or by other humans because uh, obviously that doesn't work. You've just backed it up again. Uh, they must have been created by some being that pre-existed humanity and was independent or self-existing. A.W. Tozer spoke of the cosmological argument and he said this, whatever exists must have had a cause that, ante uh, <clears throat> that antedates it and was at least equal to it 
since the lesser cannot produce the greater. Any person or thing may be at once both caused and the cause of something, uh, someone or something else, and so back to the one who is the cause of all, but is himself caused by none. <clears throat> Sorry, give me just a second. Um, we're not going to talk about the aseity of God <clears throat> quite yet, but I do want to just mention here the concept of God's self-existence because it relates to the cosmological argument. Someone might ask, uh, what about God? You say, well, this was caused by this and this was caused by this. Well, what caused God? Uh, R.C. Sproul, in this little book, I have about a dozen copies of these on the back table. Uh, it's called, What Can We Know About God? Very little book, you can see. It's very easy to read, but it's a good introduction to the subject. Uh, Sproul writes, Every effect must have a cause, not that everything that is must have a cause. The only thing that requires a cause is an effect, and an effect requires a cause by definition because that's what an effect is, something caused by something else. But does God require a cause? He does not, because he has his being in and of himself. He is eternal and self-existent. So the cosmological argument basically says that in order for anything to exist, there had to be a being who pre-existed everything and caused it to come into existence. And this being must be self-existing, eternal. Otherwise, nothing would now exist. This being must be self-existent, having existence in and of himself, not requiring a cause. Otherwise, he would just be another domino in the line, and we'd be asking, well, who caused him? So the first cause of all things must be eternal and self-existent, and we call that first eternal being God. Uh, this is Thomas Aquinas' iteration of the argument. He gives six points to prove the existence of God. All, this is all a part of the cosmological argument. He says, number one, there exists things that are caused. Again, humans caused by previous generations, chickens caused by eggs, all of that. Nothing, number two, can be the cause of itself. Number three, there cannot be an infinite regress of causes. Logically, we can't just say <clears throat> humans have always existed and they just keep going back. Something caused this. Number four, <clears throat> on the basis of that, there exists an uncaused first cause. Number five, the word God means uncaused first cause. Number six, therefore, God exists. So there's a sense in which we as Christians <clears throat> can say, uh, we believe in the Big Bang Theory, we just know who banged it. That's, one, that's my response whenever somebody brings that up. Uh, okay, sure, there's a, <clears throat> a Big Bang, but what caused that? Genesis 1, if you read the creation account in Scripture, says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was upon, uh, upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. I, I don't doubt that there was a Big Bang when it happened, uh, but it wasn't just caused by itself. God is the one who caused the universe to come into existence. Questions about the cosmological argument before we move on? Questions or even any objections that come to your mind to this argument? Go ahead. <clears throat> okay, yeah. Okay, good. So uh, if you say the single-celled organism has always existed, <clears throat> that's just as easy as saying God's always existed. Um, a couple of things with that. First of all, 
evolutionists don't believe the single-celled organism always existed. They believe the Big Bang was basically the first thing that happened. And then a long time later, you have the single-celled organism. But if you were to claim that something else pre-existed everything and was the cause of everything else, the being, whatever it was, must have been <clears throat> eternal and must have been self-existing, meaning it wasn't caused by anything else. It, was, it had life in and of itself. And at that point, why not call it God? <laughs> you know, it, <clears throat> it's sort of like, and we'll get to this a little bit later, <clears throat> sometimes people, they talk about nature in such a way that it basically sounds like God. <laughs> like nature did this and caused this, and it seems a little bit like they're just saying God, but using the word nature. Um, so the, the idea of evolution, if anybody ever tries to, to convince you of that, obviously we believe in microevolution. We believe in variation in species and things like that. Um, but what we're talking about is, and we'll get to this more when we talk about creation. I don't want to steal my own thunder there, but we believe creation exists within kinds. So when God created all creatures, they reproduce after their kind, Genesis says. That doesn't mean after their species. You have variation within that. But dogs always create dogs, and frogs always create frogs. It never goes from a dog to a monkey or something like that. Um, and there's really two questions to me, and there's a lot of things we talk about with evolution, but there's two questions to me that make it untenable. Number one, where is the half-human, half-ape? Where is the half-frog, half-dog? Where is the in-between species? Uh, number two is it really does not answer the question of origins. Because if you say everything was caused by the Big Bang, again, you just ask what caused the Big Bang. If you say the first thing that existed was some dirt and gases, well, how did that come into existence? Um, it, just, it just kicks the can back a little bit. It doesn't actually address the question. Um, so the idea of an eternally self-existing single-celled organism, I've never heard that postulated by any evolutionist. Uh, but if you're going to claim that some being exists and has always existed, has life in and of himself, and is the cause of all other living things, I just call that God. <laughs> so that would be my answer. Malachi? That's a good question. If the single-celled organism always existed, why did it decide to evolve if it wasn't for its own existence? Because that's the theory of evolution, that because of existence, basically, we've adapted uh, to survive and things. And also, you, <clears throat> you have kind of a, a philosophical problem there, because if a single-celled organism always existed and it suddenly decided to evolve, why didn't it do that billions of years before? Why did it... <clears throat> it, um, I don't know exactly if I'm expressing that clearly, but um, the question has to be asked, why did something come into existence, or why did something change? Why did anything happen in the universe? And if the answer is within the universe itself, <clears throat> then why didn't it happen before? Right, and that's why, that's why the point of this argument is to say, 
There must be someone, something that has always existed, and that is, has life in and of itself. And we call that God. You can, you can believe in the beginning dirt and gases. I choose to believe in the beginning God. <laughs> well, that's a good question. What created God from uh, creating the world billions of years earlier? That's a difficult question. Now we're getting into even uh, something me and Malachi talked about on Wednesday, the timelessness of God uh, and concepts like that. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. Um, but basically, just to state with the cosmological argument, the point of this is, you know, the, the line of dominoes that are being knocked down, something caused the first one to knock down. And it couldn't have been a domino. A domino didn't just decide, okay, I'm going to start knocking something down. There had to be something outside of creation that caused uh, everything that exists in our universe. Does that make sense? Okay. Number two, second argument, the teleological argument. Uh, the teleological argument says that the harmony, order, and design in the universe gives evidence of purpose, and these kind of build on one another. Since the universe appears to be designed with a purpose, there must be an intelligent and purposeful God who created it to function in this way. In other words, creation points to a creator. Uh, and the image of the watchmaker there, I think, is self-explanatory. If you see a watch... You don't just think this came into existence on its own. Somebody, it's so intricately designed. Uh, somebody with intelligence made this. And the more complex and intricate something is, the more we know somebody designed it. Uh, you might stumble upon some uh, shells on the, on the beach out here, and they might happen to be arranged in such a way that you kind of squint at it and think, oh, it looks a little bit like a duck or something. Well, that could have just happened. The waves could have just caused that to happen. But if you see... Uh, seashells arranged in an, in an order that says, you know, Bob loves Sally. Well, that didn't just happen. It's too intricate. There's too much design there. You know some intelligence caused this. You wouldn't walk up to that and just say, oh, what a coincidence that it happens to say that. Uh, you would know that somebody was there before you and arranged them because that level of precision does not happen by chance. And the same logic applies to something like the human body, like you brought up. Uh, even more specifically, just think about the eye. Uh, your eyeball is incredibly complex. The fact that you have two of them in order to give you depth perception, uh, that images enter your eye and pass into the mind, instantly allowing you to process these images that are constantly being captured. You have these eyelids that instinctively close in order to protect the lens from damage. You even have a self-lubricating and cleaning mechanism every few seconds when you blink. Uh, that level of design points to the fact that someone designed the human eye, that level of precision and complexity can't just happen by uh, random chance. When I was a teenager, uh, I taught at our Christian school for, uh, I guess, about a year or so, and uh, I was asked to teach on creation, kind of a creation versus evolution thing, and I tried to think, how can I explain this to kids in a way that makes sense? A lot of them were, you know, middle school. Uh, so I brought in a, I went home, <clears throat> and I took an, an old laptop I had, and I uh, took it apart as, as much as I possibly could, unscrewed everything, had it into like 35 pieces, and I, I threw them all in a box, and I brought it to, to the school. And I told the kids, okay, I'm going to give you uh, three chances. You can take this box and shake it as hard as you can and try to get all the pieces to come together and form a computer. I told them all the pieces are there. Everything is there that you need uh, to, to make a, a fully functioning laptop. And I said, go ahead and shake the box. And they, and they of course, 
didn't even do it. They said, that's never going to happen. I said, well, what if you did that all day, just over and over? You kept shaking it, trying to get it to come together. They said it would never happen. I said, what if I did it for billions and billions of years? At that point, they caught on to what I was saying. Uh, something with precision and complexity points to a designer. Uh, things, things like uh, the human body or even just the eyeball, that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come by chance. There's clearly some intelligence behind it. Uh, Stephen Charnock says this in his book, uh, that every creature and every atom and every star in the universe is whispering in our ear, I have a creator. Design points to a designer. And you would have to be blind to look at this world and not see the clear evidence that some being made all of this to work just the way it does. I think about the positioning of the sun. It's just perfect to sustain life. If it was closer, we'd burn up any further and we'd freeze. I, I looked up uh, the temperature of some of our other planets in the solar system. Mercury, it gets around 800 degrees at, and, uh, during the day, and at night it gets to around negative 300. This is Fahrenheit. Um, negative 300 to 800. Those types of extremes are very common on other planets. But our Earth was created just right uh, to, to sustain life. The scientific world goes crazy every time they think that there's, there's life on other planets. I remember once, I think it was like water or something was found on, on Mars, something random like that. And they said, well, if there's some, some water, then maybe there's life. You know, maybe we could find some little squiggly worms or something on Mars. And, and they just freaked out about this. Um, any sort of life on another planet would be absolutely shocking. But on Earth, there's life everywhere. Plants and animals and humans covering every part of our planet, all sustained by the provision of God. And the question is, what is the best explanation for this coincidence? That our planet is just perfect uh, for sustaining life, and that it's the only one that we know of thus far that has any sort of life. Again, we don't know of any planet that even has a worm. And look at all of the, the life that, that exists on Earth. What is the best explanation for all of the order and pre precision of our world? The teleological argument says the best explanation is that this is evidence of intelligent design. When you see something with an intricate design, you know there was a designer. And the creation all around us points to this fact. Uh, and by the way, I mentioned this before. You ever seen um, like a documentary type thing on, on like Planet Earth years ago on, uh, on TV where they examined all of these incredible things in, in the world. And they talk about it all as if there isn't a god. It's all attributed to Mother Nature or something like that, that nature just does this. Nature provides this for, for this species in the middle of Africa or whatever. And sometimes they, they talk about nature and evolution as though it's an intelligent being. And I just want to say, you guys are so close. <laughs> You're right there. You get it. You see the, the incredible complexity of the world, and you know this can't just happen. There's some force behind it that's causing this all to work. And my argument is just call it God. Uh, Charnock made this point in his book. He said, if nature hath not an understanding, it cannot work such effects. If nature therefore uses counsel to begin a thing, reason to dispose it, art to effect it, virtue to complete it, and power to govern it, why should it be called nature rather than God? So that is uh, the teleological argument in a nutshell, an argument from creation. Any questions on the teleological argument? Malachi. Okay. 
Go ahead. Right. Right. So even even the ability to communicate is a is a itself a proof of intelligence. And so where did that come from? Um, that's actually an interesting thought, because if you think about people that uh, travel around the world and create languages, I'm thinking of like William Carey. I think it was William Carey. He went to India and uh, before he could translate the Bible into their language, they didn't have a written language. So he had to invent a written language for them. Um, and that itself shows the intelligence behind it, because only a, a, a being capable of communicating can invent language. And so the question is, well, where did humans get the capacity to, to speak and communicate? That, that points to a creator who can also communicate. Um, so anyway, that's, that's interesting to point to DNA as another evidence. There's so many, so many different aspects uh, you could talk about with the teleological argument. Anyone in the medical field, I don't understand how you can be in the medical field and not see this. Um, people can study the most random part of the human body, you know, the pancreas or something that you don't even think about, the spleen. And they can tell you about how complex it is and what a, what a, a vital role it plays. And, and all of it's just like, this just happened. This just you know, exploded one day and here we are. It, it's just crazy to me uh, that people can, can look at the complexity of our universe and not see uh, the creator behind it. Again, it's like stumbling upon a watch in a desert and thinking, oh, this just happened. Uh, of course not. Somebody was there. It, it leaves its uh, fingerprints of a creator. Well, we are out of time. I uh, wanted to get to one more, but we'll have to cover that next week, uh, the moral argument for God. But we will continue this uh, next Sunday. Let's pray.